unclean. I'm unclean, please. D don't come any closer, please. I'm unclean. These are the words I'd have to yell to anybody that passes by. Unclean! And if that wasn't humiliating enough, my nine friends and I, we were cast out of the city. We were cast out no longer to, to enter the city gates. I went to the priests, and oh yes, as prescribed by the law, he declared me unclean. Because you see, according to the law, chapter 13 of the holy book of Leviticus in the Torah, I am unclean. Man, have I read that chapter often. Hoping it was going to say something different. But I'm an outcast. My clothes, they have to be torn. My hair had turned white, so I have to keep it untended. I have to make sure that it stays a mess because I have to look different than everybody else. Separated from my family. Separated from my friends. I no longer have a place to call home. Oh, the shame, the shame that has, this has brought upon my family. Cast out from the city gates. I've been, I've been sitting there for a while, and I see walking along this, this beautiful young family. So beautiful to see. Smiles on their faces as they're walking along the path and enjoying the fresh air of fall. Dad lifts up his, his young daughter, and he puts him on his shoulder, and the boys are, are throwing rocks. They're laughing. I can barely hear it. Ever so faintly, I hear their laughter. <laughs> it reminds me when I took my own child at one point and took my own daughter and put her on my shoulders. And all oh, those were good days. But it's been such a long time now since I had the opportunity to, to hold my daughter and to give her a kiss on the cheek. But look at them. What a family. Beautiful family, isn't it? The young boy through the corner of his eye. He sees us. He points to us. I smile at the young boy, hoping that he was going to see my smile, but, but how was the boy going to see my smile? Because according to the law, I have to keep the lower part of my face covered because of this disease. But I smile anyways, because there's hope in a smile, isn't there? At least maybe not for the young boy, but at least hopefully for my soul there's a bit of hope. And all of a sudden, you see the mood change so quickly in the family. It was immediate. The laughter stopped and the smiles, it, it turned to worry. Mom grabs the kids and pulls the kids a little bit closer and, and dad takes their faces and, and turns them away so they couldn't see us. And it was then that I once again had to call out, the call of shame. Unclean. I look down at my chest. And yes, I too see the open wounds, the boils everywhere. I look at my skin and it's all scaly. It doesn't look that much different than that of a fish. Scales. The boils, all the pain that I'm experiencing. See, that's my life. There is no cure for my disease only shame and humiliation. The only thing that can cure me now is a miracle. It will literally take a miracle from this rabbi called Jesus. 
What a day it would be if I actually get to see this man face to face. He's performed miracles in the past, you know. I've heard it with my own ears. He could do it. I now sit for years along this road between Samaria and Galilee. Oh, how I remember my beloved Galilee. I'm a Samaritan. The Jews, they don't care much for me or my people. Before I had leprosy, they considered me to be lower than the dogs. They don't value us. In their eyes, I am nothing. And now that I have leprosy, all they think is I am dead to the world. Dead to the world. But Jesus, he's Jewish, isn't he? But he's different, right? Isn't he different? He has to be. If you have your Bibles open, turn with me to Luke 17. Luke 17, we're going to read the story where Jesus heals the ten lepers. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten meds who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. One of them when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So what is our first response to the blessings of God in our life? You know, a survey, found, a survey found that Americans will say thank you roughly 2,000 times a year. That's roughly five times a day. And I'm sure the statistics in Canada are roughly the same. But the Americans, they only mean it half the time. And what's interesting is those that are under the age of 25 are twice as likely to be insincere with their thanks as those who are 55 or older. In addition to this, scientists studying positive psychology found that a one-time act of gratitude, of thoughtful gratitude, saying thank you and meaning it, immediately increases by 10% the happiness in your life and 35% reduces depressive symptoms. The happy effect of a gratitude disappears within roughly three to six months, which tells the scientists that gratitude, this giving thanks, showing expression, needs to happen on a continual basis. It needs to happen again and again. That's interesting, isn't it? But when it comes to these type of studies, as interesting as they are, it is usually a good practice for us as believers in Christ to go back to Scripture and say, how do we filter that through the lens of Scripture? 
See, the Bible, it is the word of God. It is the highest authority on how we live life. The Bible speaks to every aspect of life. It tells us how we are to show thankfulness and how our thankfulness is going to have a direct impact on others. But more importantly, the Bible is going to tell us how our thankfulness will have direct impact on our relationship with God. So when we look at the Bible and we see how many times does this Bible say the word thankfulness or, or gratitude, it comes up roughly around 229 times. Now that's not a whole lot, is it, when you look at the whole Bible? But when we look through the scriptures and we talk about themes that come through, when we talk about various themes of thankfulness, of, of showing gratitude, of giving thanks to God, that it needs to be a way of life for us as believers, it increases significantly. Listen to what King David says in Psalm 165 and verse 116. Now you need to remember what God says about King David. God says about King David that he is a man after his own heart. All right, now here's what he says. King David says this. Seven times a day I praise thee because of thy righteous judgment. Seven times a day. And if you add that up, that comes to 178,858 times that we are to say thank you or show gratitude to Jesus. Now jump with me to Psalm 145, verse 1. It says this. I will extol you, my God, the King. I will praise your name every, forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Seven times a day, every day, we are to give praise to God. So does the Bible speak about giving thanks, about showing gratitude, of singing praise to God? Absolutely, it sure does. Because you see, being thankful needs to be a way of life. It shouldn't be just in those, those moments when the mood strikes. It shouldn't be when we come on a, a Thanksgiving Day service. It shouldn't be on other times during the week. It, it needs to be always, continually. It, not, does, it has to be more than just those moments when we tangibly experience God. But for a believer, for you and for myself, it needs to be a heart attitude of thankfulness towards God. So when we look at the research... When we, when we look through scripture and dive deeper into scripture, that a way of thankfulness, that our heart's attitude needs to be a thankfulness to the Lord. I'm somewhat baffled by our text today. I don't know about you, but I am somewhat baffled. And I think when reading the text, I think the Lord had a few questions as well. Take a look at, at what he says a little bit later in the, in the chapter in verse 17. He says this. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give thanks, to praise God except this foreigner? So what's going on here? What lessons do we need to learn from this particular passage this Thanksgiving weekend? So if you have your Bibles open, please keep them open. Keep your Bibles app open because we're just going to walk through the text. Let's begin by taking a look at verse 11. 
in verse 11, it says that Jesus was traveling the border road from Samaria to Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. This was a popular route for most Jewish people because this is the route that they would take on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. But some of the more pious Jews, though, took a different route. They wanted to take a detour. They were not ready to go through Samaria. So get this, they, in their detour route, they would rather risk crossing the Jordan River than walk through Samaria. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't bring themselves to go through Samaria. See, because Samaria is where the Samaritans live. And if you remember from last week, Samaritans were considered Mamzerians. A Mamzer is one that is born of union that is forbidden by the Torah. The Samaritan people are a people group that's birthed out of forbidden love going directly against Leviticus 14. They were the outcasts of society. They were considered by the Jewish people lower than the dogs. They were the half-breeds. It's not a title you want. But it's important for us to note that right at the start of this, that they are the half-breed Samaritans. Because if you remember in the text, it is the very Samaritan that Jesus points out that came back to give thanks. It's important for us to note. So move to verse 12. It says this. As he was going to the village, ten men who had leprosy met him and stood at a distance and called. The two verbs met and stood speak to the condition of these men. The fact that they stood at a distance and didn't come closer to Jesus signifies that they were very well aware of the severity of their illness, that they had full-blown leprosy. This was far more than just a skin rash that these men were dealing with. They had open wounds on their skin. They had painful boils all over their body. They were in constant pain. The horrible skin disease of leprosy was eating away at their fingers. It was, their toes were curled up in pain. And their bodies were beaten, eaten by this disease. And those that traveled with us to the Philippines last year saw firsthand what leprosy can do. The effects of leprosy when we worked in the leposorium in Manila. We held hands with people whose hands were destroyed. We sat on the beds of those whose feet were permanently curled because of the pain that they endured in their lives. And we sat with those whose faces were scarred because of the boils that they had. Leprosy, such a horrible disease, and, and these 10 men knew it. They knew the law of Leviticus 14. They understood the ruling of the priest and that they were declared unclean. They understood that. So when the text says that they stood at the distance, emphasizes the severity of their disease. It emphasizes the severity of their shame. But the verb met is interesting. Because it indicates that they knew that they must be at a distance. But they took a step forward to meet Jesus. In the midst of their pain and their shame, they still took a step forward to meet Jesus. Jesus. They were taking a risk to come to Jesus. It went against the Torah, but they did it. 
the few small steps forward, working their way towards Jesus, is a reflection that they had some belief that this Jesus, that this rabbi was different than the rest, and that this Jesus could heal their physical pain. But they didn't come too close, did they? They didn't come too close because the they had to still stay at a distance. The law said they could, but they still wanted to come a little bit closer to Jesus. But they were far enough away because in verse 13, it says this. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity. Have pity on us. Isn't that great? It's kind of cool, actually. Because the priests believed that leprosy was a direct punishment from God on the person. And that when a person was declared to have leprosy, they were cast from the city. They were banished. They were shunned. It was basically giving the individual a death sentence. The priests taught that the only cure for leprosy was the, for the Messiah himself to perform a miracle. A miraculous healing was going to happen. And what were the odds for these 10 men that the rabbi, Jesus, was going to come and to walk by? Probably slim to none. And that's what these men were told. Because you see, these men, they needed Jesus to have life. They needed Jesus to have life. And when they saw Jesus walking on the road, the Spirit it was already working in their hearts because they knew something was different about this Jewish rabbi. They stood. They moved forward to meet Jesus and they yelled and they pleaded for mercy. Jesus, Jesus, Master, please show mercy. Show compassion. Please, Jesus. These men, in complete desperation, came to Jesus knowing that he was the only way. The world shunned them. The church shunned them. And yet, they still had the courage, didn't they? To step forward towards the master and plead for mercy. That's a leap of faith. That's a leap of faith. You know, they, they didn't really know what Jesus was going to do. They didn't know what his response was going to be. How could they? How could they know? They only heard that something was different about Jesus. That he was different than all the other rabbis that were out there. You know, it really wouldn't have been weird for us to read or for the, the, the tent to hear Jesus' response of, Get away, you filthy, wretched soul. You got leprosy. Don't come any closer. That's the response that they normally get. That, that's what they were familiar with. But Jesus, but Jesus, he's, he's different, isn't he? Isn't this rabbi different? Oh, was Jesus ever different? Was Jesus ever different? Take a look at verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Friends, this is not a shunning from Jesus. This is not shaming. This is a recognition from the master. 
Jesus is saying to the 10 lepers, I see you and you are valued. Jesus is so personal. Because remember what the men did? The men yelled at Jesus for mercy. The response from Jesus wasn't, I hear you. The response from Jesus is, I see you. He says, I saw them. Jesus stopped. He paused. And he looked directly at them. And he says, I see you. I see you. And you are valued. Isn't that something that we all crave to hear in our lives? You see, to be seen, to be heard, to be valued by the master, doesn't that fill a longing that we all have? Because that's what Jesus gives every time that we cry out to him for mercy. He looks at you. He says, I see you. I see you. See, what's interesting here is that Jesus does not cure them on the spot. There's, there's no instant miracle. Jesus only says, he says, go show yourself to the priest. Scripture does not record Jesus healing them first and then sending them on their way. All he says is go and you go show. There's no pausing for these men. They don't first look at themselves and to see if the leprosy is gone. They first don't question Jesus. Hey, Jesus, take a look. Still here. Check it out. It's not gone. I can't go. I can't show until this is cleared up. What's up, God? What's up, Jesus? Because you see, with all the stigma in their life, with all the jeering that went on over the years, being looked down upon, you think there would have been have a little bit of hesitation on their part, don't you think? They would have just paused and said, hmm, take a look. But the master said, go and show. And these men went with their bodies still full of leprosy, they started running in the very direction that they were forbidden to go, and that was directly towards the city. Had to take a little bit of faith, didn't it? They started walking full of leprosy, their bodies still in pain, their faces covered with boils, their skin or their clothes still torn, but one foot in front of the other, they marched towards the city. And with every step, the boils started to disappear. The skin on their hands became clean and smooth. Their face complexion cleared up. Their vision became clear again. Their hair returned back to its original color. And the pain, all the pain, it was going one step at a time. And every step is taken a little bit faster. And before you know it, they are running as fast as they can towards the city. As they went, the text says, they were cleansed. With every step, their physical bodies are being restored. The death sentence that they were given is now being released and lifted off their lives. 
And as soon as the priest went through the various steps of of verifying that this was indeed a miracle by the Messiah, they could return home to normal life. They could go home. They could hug their wives. They could be with their kids. They could wrestle on the floor again. Life could be free. They could walk free in the community. Life was restored. There was no more shunning, no more shame. They were welcomed back at the temple. Imagine that. The transformation that took place in their lives. And here's what baffles me. This is what baffles me. And maybe it's less of being baffled, but being more convicted. But I think this is where Jesus had the questions. Take a look at 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. One. One. Ten healed. One comes back. As I was pondering this study, this passage of scripture for today, I found myself wondering if I would have been part of the nine. Or would I have been the one? You know, it's much easier to not be the one that stands out, isn't it? It's not always easy to be that one that people perceive as over-spiritual. Because I would convince myself that if I was part of the nine, man, as soon as I knew that I was clean, that's when I was going to go back to Jesus. That's when I was going to run back to him. I think I would be in the camp of saying, I want to verify first, then I'll praise. Instead of being in the camp of praise, then verify. All these men are running to the city to get checked out by the priest. And as they are running, they see and they feel that their bodies are being restored. And yet, they keep running away from Jesus. But one. One takes notice. One stops. One turns around, runs in the opposite direction, and goes directly back to Jesus. His first response was to go back. Not to the priests. Not to be checked out to make sure that his healing was actually happening. But you see, the the other nine, they weren't doing anything wrong. It was required by the Levitical law that they had to go back to the priest. They had to go to the priest first to be declared clean. They were just following the law, weren't they? Jesus knew that that was the process. Even the one who returned back to Jesus first to give thanks still had to go to the priest to be declared clean before he could be returned to normal life. It's interesting. This one, the Samaritan of all people, this Mamzer, he had a different priority. He immediately goes back to Jesus. He deals with his present reality. He understands the magnitude of the miracle that just took place in his life. Jesus gave him life. And the first place that he goes is back to the giver of life. You know, these two verses are a beautiful picture of what a heart looks like on Thanksgiving says this, he came back, 
praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. See, the term loud voice here is most often used by Luke. John uses it in the book of Revelation to talk about Jesus Christ. And the apostle Mark uses it as he shares the account of Jesus on the cross. Mark 15. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same word, loud voice. See, because loud voice, it's a combination of, of two words, of, of megas and phone. And this is where we get the word megaphone from. So basically, what Luke is saying is this. The Samaritan came back praising God in a voice that was not natural. He was intentionally being allowed to give praise back to his giver. And as he is intentionally loud in his thanksgiving, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Imagine that. Because you see, this is not a calm and collective approach to worshiping God and giving thanks. The man is so overjoyed that he can no longer contain himself. He is undignified before the Lord. He is going against the cultural norms. A Samaritan of all people throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. Now that just does not happen. But for this one, there's there no holding back. He cares less about what others think. He only cares what Jesus thinks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It's music to Jesus' ears. But you notice something interesting here? Jesus does not tell him to stop making a fool of himself, as we would describe it. He doesn't tell him to stop and use a quieter voice. He doesn't tell the Samaritan that this is a, this is a rather improper way to worship. Get up off the ground of all things. Get up off the ground, man. Put your arms down. The Samaritan, he gives it all to Jesus, and Jesus welcomes his thanks. It takes an outsider, doesn't it? It takes a Samaritan to show us a proper heart posture for gratitude this Thanksgiving weekend. So, what should our response be to the blessings of God in our life? A thankful heart. The Samaritan shows us how a person whose life has been transformed by Jesus should respond. And yet very seldom do we come this free before the throne of God, don't we? Maybe it's because the lighting is just not dark enough. Perhaps there are just too many people in the room. We might just feel a little silly. Or maybe perhaps we're just more quiet. We're just the more introverted individual. Now, I don't know what that is for you, and that's okay. Because coming to Jesus with our thanks looks very different for every Christian. Some are going to come and they're going to raise their hands. Some are going to keep the hands down in their pockets. 
Others will come with tears. Others are gonna come with laughter. Some are gonna be in quiet meditation and others, they're gonna come and they're gonna be waving the flags and they're gonna be dancing before the Lord. And some are just gonna read a psalm and others will sit quietly and listen to music. See, the question is not so much how we come, but that we actually do come back to Jesus first. And that we are coming with our whole heart in complete freedom, in gratitude to the giver of life. That's what's important. Our life, my life, I have been cleansed just like the one. I'm not much different than the Samaritan. I was living in shame, but Jesus, he took my shame to the cross. I was living a lost life, and he became my way maker. I was an orphan, and he adopted me to be his own. I was sentenced to death, and he gave me life. He gave me life eternal. And when I call out to Jesus, and my pleas of mercy, he says, I see you, Marcel. I see you, and you are valued. And Jesus Christ, he says the same to you. He really does. Jesus says to you, I see you, my child. I see you. You're valued. I see you. You're valued. You're my kids. You can hold on to that. You can hold on to that from Jesus. And because of who Jesus is, I want to be throwing myself at the feet of Jesus. I want to praise him in a loud voice this Thanksgiving weekend and every day until the good Lord calls me home. How about you? I want to be undignified before the Lord, just like King David. And I pray that together, in our own ways, in our own ways, we will all be undignified before the Lord, throwing ourselves at the feet of the giver of life. So what happened to the other nine? Where'd they go? You ever wonder that? Did they end up thanking God eventually? Did they just give Jesus the friendly nod, the tip of the hat? Scripture doesn't really say, does it? But here's what the text does tell us about the one who came back. That when he finished his thanksgiving, it says in verse 19, then he, Jesus, said to them, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. All ten men had faith and were physically healed from this horrible disease called leprosy. But the Samaritan, the one, was also healed spiritually and as a result gives unhindered thanksgiving back to Jesus Christ. Because you see, the verb made well in the original language is sozo. S-O-Z-O. And in the original language, that speaks to spiritual healing. Salvation. Man, that's far greater than just physical healing. Cleaned inside and out. It is the praise, it is in the praise of the Samaritan that Jesus pronounces the salvation to him. Now that is joy. 
That is complete freedom, and that is complete healing by Jesus himself. That is the saving work of Jesus and Jesus alone, and thus there is no greater response to the saving, miraculous working God than to be like the Samaritan, praising God, thanking him, because he has made you well, completely. And as children of God, we can proclaim, we are clean. We are clean, thanks be to God, we are clean. And that's why we can sing in just a few moments that it is well with my soul. And as we close, I'd like to share this short little video with you of one leper who came back, praising God. His name is Albert, and many of us have met Albert when we were in the Philippines. He had leprosy. He's now in remission. His family still doesn't visit with him. It's been over 10 years since he's seen any of his family members. But Albert's got a joy. He has a joy because he's been touched by the master's hand and he has been healed inside and out and now he throws himself at the master's feet giving thanks to a holy God. So let's enjoy the song entitled, I'll Tell the World I Am a Christian, sung by Albert. I tell the world that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed his name to birth. I tell the world that I'm a Christian. I'll take him with me anywhere. Oh, uh-huh. 